American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcast. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're doing something a little different. We're talking about three different shrines, one on each end of the country and one in the middle, and all with a claim to being the first to be devoted in some way to St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. St. Therese is one of the most popular saints in the church, one of the most powerful and reliable intercessors, and one of the most ubiquitous in Catholic churches in this country. It's rare to walk into a church and not find a statue of her with her Carmelite habit and bouquet of roses. Or to know a group of Catholic women and not find one who has her as her confirmation saint, like me. As you do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So let's talk about who St. Therese was and why she became so popular. She was a Carmelite nun who died of tuberculosis at 24 years old in 1897 in Lisieux in France. Come to think of it, my older sister Kelly has that middle name as well. Anyway, yes, that's pretty much all we knew about St. Therese when she died. Carmelite nuns are cloistered and have basically zero contact with the outside world. So it wasn't until shortly after her death, when her autobiographical writings were published under the title Story of a Soul, that people learned of the incredible young woman who had just died. And through her writings, she gave us her little way. Yes, what it amounts to is so simple, but so profound and frequently difficult. She loved the work of the missions, but had no designs on doing great missionary work and converting thousands of souls, but she knew that she must find a way to reach heaven nonetheless. So she dedicated her life to doing every little thing with the love and devotion that the great missionaries must have had. She would make everything she did an act of love and service to God. Everything. So things as mundane as sweeping the floor or making a bed or as difficult and potentially tedious as dealing with difficult people, she did all as acts of love and service to God. In each act, she remained little and offered her service to God. Her life was such an example of sanctity that she was declared venerable in 1921 and beatified on April 29th, the day before my birthday, 1923. Well, I wasn't born in 1923, but... No, I hope not. (laughs) This was exceptional because it required Pope Benedict XV to suspend the rule that a person could not be beatified for 50 years after their death. And then she was canonized just two years later on May 17, 1925. And then in 1997, in recognition of the profundity of her spiritual insight, Pope John Paul II declared her a doctor of the church, the youngest person ever so honored. And the event of her canonization is a great point to sort of step across the ocean and talk about our three first shrines. The first shrine we'll bring in is the first shrine in the world to be dedicated to St. Therese. In 1923, just months after the beatification of St. Therese, the Bishop of Providence, Rhode Island, William Hickey, erected a new parish in Nasonville, which is in the northern central part of the state. He had a great admiration, even a devotion, to the newly beatified Therese, so he had the new parish named in her honor. He named Father A.P. DeRocher's pastor, and the day after he was made pastor, Father DeRocher's was called to the bedside of a terminally ill woman. Mrs. Florilda Faffert had been suffering from some horrible disease for eight years. By this point, she was bedridden, unable to talk, and barely able to even open her eyes. 
Her doctors had given up hope and were just waiting for the end. Father de Rochers came to her bedside and bid her place her case in the hands of the Blessed Therese of Lisieux. She affirmed her agreement by blinking her eyes, which was all she could do. Father prayed. Florilda prayed. Some nearby nuns prayed. The next morning, Florilda's condition had improved so much that she was able to speak and even to receive communion. At midday, she even got out of bed and walked into the kitchen where her sister, who had been caring for her, nearly fainted. The doctors declared her recovery beyond their explanation, which basically means it's a miracle. The story of the dramatic healing spread, and Florilda repeated many times how she had been healed by St. Therese. Soon, she was going door-to-door, taking up a collection to purchase a statue of St. Therese. In short order, many others in the area were reporting favors received and miraculous relief from illness obtained through the intercession of Therese. A popular acclamation turned the parish of St. Therese into a shrine in bits and pieces, the first shrine to St. Therese in the United States and the world. In 1924, the church, school, rectory, and convent were constructed, and in 1926, the nuns arrived to run the school, which opened that September. Over the years, a replica of the Holy Stairs in Rome was installed, as were outdoor stations of the cross and an outdoor altar and shrine. Through the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, the shrine was a pilgrimage destination. It fell into harder times in the 60s through the early 1990s, with the school closing and the sisters leaving in 1969. But since the early 1990s, a renaissance has been underway for the shrine, and it is a beloved place of pilgrimage and prayer once again. So that's the first of our three shrines, the first one actually to be designated a shrine. Our second first technically takes us even earlier than our first first, right? Mm -hmm. That is, the dedication to St. Therese in this one came about even earlier than her beatification. Yes, and it also takes us about 3,000 miles away to Juneau, Alaska, on the other edge of the continent. At the outset of 1917, the entire state of Alaska was still missionary territory and part of the Diocese of Vancouver Island. Alaska, of course, was a territory of the United States, and Vancouver Island was part of Canada, so that was a bit of a strain. But also, the population in Alaska was growing, and it deserved its own ecclesiastical attention. Now, we talked about missionary work from Vancouver Island to Alaska before. Absolutely. We talked about the remarkable life and tragic death of Archbishop Charles Sagers, the Belgian missionary who literally gave his life to building the church in Alaska in the 1870s and 1880s. Don't miss his story in episode 18 of this podcast, or if you've listened before, listen again. So what we're talking about here is building on his legacy. In 1917, Pope Benedict XV separated Alaska from Vancouver Island and made it an apostolic vicariate. The man made vicar apostolic was Joseph Cremont S.J. Cremont, who was from France, actually knew members of Therese's family and was well acquainted with her spirituality early on. In particular, he knew that she wanted desperately to be a missionary and look forward to when she was in heaven and so wouldn't be bound by the cloister and could work to evangelize all peoples from heaven. Exactly. So when he was made bishop, he chose for his coat of arms the French phrase la rose fuyée, which means the unpetaled rose, as a tribute to Therese, and placed his vicariate under her protection. But remember, this was 1917. Therese wasn't beatified until 1923 and wasn't canonized until 1925. One of his assistants referred to this as a rather hasty move, but the bishop knew what he was doing 
and he was in the Vatican on May 17, 1925, when she was declared a saint. During that same visit, he was present when the church named Therese the patron saint of Alaska. So it was natural for the vicariate to have a shrine to St. Therese. And in 1930, Father William Lavasser began to promote the idea of a shrine in the diocese. Bishop Cremont, of course, was only too happy to lend what aid he could. When he had returned from Europe back in 1925, he had brought with him relics of St. Therese and many items to help spread the devotion to the new saint. Favors he received through her intercession, plus miraculous healings witnessed and reported, only fueled his devotion. So he helped secure a 10-acre island just off the coast, about 20 miles north of Juneau for the shrine. Largely through volunteer labor, a 400-foot causeway was built, and then construction commenced on the buildings. The retreat house, sister's residence, hermitage, post office, and other buildings were built from logs floated over to the island from the mainland. But when it came time to build the church, they kept having one unexpected problem after another, floating the logs across the channel for the church. Finally, they gave up on that when a skilled stone and concrete mason proposed building the church out of cobblestones held together with concrete. So they did. They gathered thousands of stones from the beach and all over the island, anywhere from the size of a golf ball to a large grapefruit, and the church rose from the ground, literally built from the rocks lying around on the ground. The grounds developed over time, and the shrine became a place of pilgrimage, but as with the shrine in Rhode Island, the good times went on hiatus in the 1960s. The shrine fell into disrepair and was even closed for a time. It wasn't until the later 1980s that a real effort was made to save the shrine, and that effort has brought this spiritual haven back to life. In 2016, it was declared a national shrine. Our third first Therese Shrine was the third to be established chronologically, but it was the first to be declared a national shrine. This is the shrine in Darien, Illinois, which is in the Chicagoland area, right smack dab in the middle of the Midwest. The shrine marked its beginnings in 1923 as a local shrine within the Church of St. Cyril in Chicago. After a time as devotion to Therese grew and she was canonized, the shrine and all devotions associated with it moved to the larger St. Clara's Church in the Inglewood neighborhood of Chicago. As we've said, Therese was canonized in 1925, and the shrine received many gifts from the Carmel of the Sioux in gratitude for the assistance offered by the Carmelite province of the Most Pure Heart of Mary during the beatification and canonization process, first-class relics, and items personally owned and used by Therese. The Tuesday Novenas would draw thousands. Devotion remained great for many years, and in the 1950s, the shrine was declared a national shrine, again the first so designated in the country. But then the story repeats. Once again, the interest in the devotion to St. Therese waned in the 1960s and 70s. In 1975, a terrible fire destroyed St. Clara, but the many items from the shrine survived the fire and were taken to the Carmelite campus in nearby Darien, Illinois. A makeshift shrine was set up, but they knew something bigger and more permanent was needed. It wasn't long before a late Carmelite left a multi-million dollar gift in her will that made it possible to build a new standalone chapel and museum building on the Carmelite's property there in Darien, and this was dedicated in 1987. The faithful came back and devotion to the little flower with her little way began to swell once again. On October 1st, 2018, the Feast of St. Therese, yet another chapel, this one four times the size of the previous one, was dedicated. If you visit the shrine in Darien, the museum holds many Therese artifacts, including 
the tambourine she had when a child, the map she drew of North America when she was 12, the original oil painting of her that her sister Celine painted, Celine was also in Carmel and Monsieur, an original charcoal drawing of Therese as a Carmelite novice, one of the four original copies of the manuscript for the story of a soul, a piece of Therese's bedspread, teacups she had used during evening chats with her father, her prayer book from her first communion, and more. So, a place we really need to visit. Maybe on a pilgrimage someday. Hey! That's our three first shrines to St. Therese. But those are not the only shrines to St. Therese in the U.S. There are at least three others that we will talk about in a future episode or two, including the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Little Flower in San Antonio, Texas. Which, interestingly, also claims to be the first national shrine dedicated to St. Therese, so we'll have to sort that out in the future. Right. As well as the Shrine of the Little Flower of Jesus in Buffalo, New York, and another Basilica of the National Shrine of the Little Flower in Royal Oak, Michigan, just outside of Detroit. That one is also notable for a colorful priest and its run-in with the KKK. So while she's only been a saint in the church for 95 years, devotion to St. Therese, the little flower, sprung up, if you will, at a ripe time for American Catholicism and the little way of this humble, cloistered Carmelite nun who died young and, in obscurity, has shaped and aided Catholics in America in a big way. See about visiting one of these shrines or one that's nearer to you that we didn't mention, or just seek her powerful intercession. We'll link to some prayer resources in our show notes and see if St. Therese will pick you a rose from her heavenly garden. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review and support the work of SQPN. Your support at sqpn.com give helps make sure American Catholic History and all of the StarQuest podcasts remain available. To learn more about these three shrines of St. Therese, to find previous episodes and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com history. To learn more about our Kentucky pilgrimage, please visit pilgrimages.com slash Catholic Kentucky Bourbon. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heastercrow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. Quest.